Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. Good afternoon, Team Krulak community, and on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brute Krulak Center for Innovation and Future Warfare, welcome back to the Brutecast, our series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best and innovative and creative thought. I'm your host, Major Ian Brown, Operations Officer at the Krulak Center. Before we begin, please remember that all opinions expressed here are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Krulak Center, Marine Corps University, United States Marine Corps, Air University, United States Air Force, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Today, we, we talk a lot about sort of PME in the, in the Marine Corps sense, which makes sense because the Krulak Center works for Marine Corps University, but we have not as much, uh, you know, other PME goes on out there for the other services who all have their own schools and their own programs and approaches. And we haven't done that all that much on the broadcast here. So today we're going to try and change that a little bit. And uh, we're also going to be spending a little bit of time focusing on an area that we have talked about a lot, but again, not in a in a different service PME context, which is the use of wargaming as an educational tool, something that has been a growth area for Marine Corps University the last couple of years, but we're not the only ones who do that. We know that. And we're going to try and learn more about how um, other people use it as an educational tool. So to talk us through all this today, we're joined by Megan J. Hennessy, PhD. She is the director of the Teaching and Learning Center at Air University. She is a credentialed as an associate professor. She has previously worked as director of educational methodology at the U.S. Army War College, where she created the Military Scholarship of Teaching and Learning Forum, or the MSOTL Forum, a conference focusing on educational research. As we were just talking about, she also holds a direct commission as a public affairs officer in the United States Navy, although she is in the uh, IRR currently. So we have we have uh, some Air Force stuff we could talk about. We can maybe also talk about work at the Army War College so that we can have a, a truly joint discussion today <laughs> about different approaches to PME. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. And uh, before we kind of get into the questions, I'll just, you know turn over to you if you have any opening thoughts or comments you'd like to share. Sure. Thank you so much. I'm excited and honored to be here and talk about wargaming, um, especially because there's some wargamers online. I see some familiar and friendly faces names. So thank you for everyone who's interested today. Yeah, we've got a, a good audience here. And like I said, this is going to be mostly question, question and answer. So if you have a question, just throw it in the chat and we'll get to it. Uh, before we go in there, um, we have a, a couple things that we wanted to talk about up front. And I guess maybe first of all is for yourself, ma'am, you know, how did you wind up? You, you were at the U.S. Army War College. Now you're at Air University. Sort of how did you how did you start walking the path into academics specifically for pro uh, professional military education? Sure. Yeah, I don't know if you know, Ian, but my PME career actually started at EWS at, at Marine Corps University. Uh, so I have my, my master's in Shakespeare studies and kind of thing to study <laughs> jobs in Shakespeare studies. And so I'm from Arizona uh, and actually got a tech editor, Wachuca, at the Joint Interactivity Test Committee in the military life. Um, found out our field was not for me, but was very interested when a job came to Expeditionary Warfare School as a communication faculty member. So moved from Arizona to Quantico and have been involved in education in the uh, federal and military spaces ever since. Um, I love the Marines <laughs> with a service and think about it in the 
you know, framework of your PME career, the Marine Corps is a great way to start. And I was there for several years before I uh, moved on to the Intel community. Um, so I worked at the FBI Academy just across the highway from you all, and then the National Geospatial Intelligence College, mostly in faculty development uh, <clears throat> and how to teach. So teaching people how to teach in a nutshell is my specialty. And I uh, eventually moved up to Carlisle, Pennsylvania at the Army War College as Director of Educational Methodology while I was working on my PhD. So long days, long nights, um, went to school full time, worked full time, and I'm debt free because I suffered in the moment, right? <laughs> I didn't take any time off. Um, so my PhD is from George Mason in higher ed <clears throat> and my research pipeline is specific to military education. So I wrote my dissertation on faculty development for active duty military instructors at senior service colleges, um, specifically the Army War College, because that's where I was at the time. Stayed at Army War College for a few years, had some really great experiences, including as a course director for a JPME 1, or excuse me, JPME 2 level course, uh, Introduction to Strategic Studies together with Dr. Richard Lackament, who was the Dean at the time, um, and just learned so much about that level of PME. Um, and then this position came open and it was just a wonderful opportunity. I couldn't turn it down. So I'm happy to uh, have the full glimpse of joint experience at this point, except for the Space Force, although they're somewhat tied to us here at Air University. So we do have that relationship. Um, but the Teaching and Learning Center is an exciting place to be. There's something different happening here every single day. Uh, as part of our portfolio, we do faculty development for all educators um, at Air University. So all levels of military education here from accessions to non-commissioned education and the enlisted forces all the way up to general officer um, continuing education. So lots of different things to do uh, on the faculty development front. We also help with students' communication skills. Um, the writing lab falls under the teaching and learning center and we have upwards of a thousand writing tutoring appointments every year, uh, mostly because we have wonderful faculty volunteers who help with our tutoring in that way. <clears throat> and then a couple other things that we do, educational technology uh, with a purpose. So we like to explore what types of technology work in the military education classroom and how we know that they work. And then we bring it full circle by helping the instructors to figure out the best uses for those types of technology. And then my personal favorite, um, although I probably shouldn't say that out loud, <laughs> is our research portfolio, uh, which is new. It's something that I brought with me. I'm the second director of the TLC. I'm very excited to introduce educational research as one of our functional areas here. And that is tied in really closely with, um, as you mentioned, the Military Scholarship of Teaching and Learning Conference that we run every year. Um, and we will run that again in December of 2023. So you have a year to think, Ian, about what topic you want to propose for that conference. But essentially, it's looking at classroom-based research. So what are our military educators doing? 
Um, why are they doing it? How do they know it works? And how can we teach others to use it if it works? Just to put it very simply, whether that's an intervention like using peer feedback on a writing assignment, or whether it's a new type of technology, um, we really seek to bring empirical rigor to those decision-making conversations about how you're going to teach military learners. And you can read more about that um, in our book coming out very soon with many Marine Corps University authors, including Professor Stacy Wells and Professor Andrea Hamlin Ridgely on uh, developing military learners communication skills using the scholarship of teaching and learning. So what have we learned and how can we put it into practice? Great. Uh, well, we will look forward to that book. Um, and uh, I guess I also know what I'm doing in December of 2023 now. Yes, um, <laughs> save the date. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's good to know. It's about as far out, uh, far out as I can plan effectively. Um, so uh, to on the topic there of the classroom-based research, this kind of ties into uh, one of the focus areas that we had sort of advertised here for this this discussion, but also a focus area at at MCU. And, in, and indeed, um, it, using war games as a method of classroom-based research is something that has, again, it's been a growth area for us. And in, in fact, just last night, I had on previous broadcast episode, which is not posted yet, but it will today, later on, hopefully, uh, a couple of graduates from the School of Advanced Warfighting who used a couple of different war game types to on uh, on course learning on um, the Marine Littoral Regiment and methods of employment. You know, if it could achieve deterrence and things like that. So, um, so I seeing that it, it's, it's become an, an emerging tool um, and something that we know that Air University and especially the Teaching and Learning Center has been looking at, and we were also talking about earlier how you had one of our non-resident fellows recently there to do some some presentation of his own, and that's Sebastian Bay, who's been uh, one of the most prolific war gamers, war game writers, discussers, whatever you want to call it in there. So um, if, if maybe you could talk a little bit about how, how Air University um, and or the Teaching Learning Center inside of that, how you have used wargaming, that specific tool to support your various curricula as well as uh as uh, how if if any if in any fashion how it's been used as one of those classroom-based research tools yeah i was thinking about you guys it's it's on my desk right forging war gamers included your chapter Ian. <laughs> yeah it's a fantastic book i'm totally unbiased about it yes uh well since i have it here i'll flip open because you asked about research um the chapter, chapter eight, uh, Dr. Valeriano and Dr. Jensen on Wargaming for Social Science probably equates closest to uh, our interest here at the TLC from a research standpoint. How do you use wargaming not to understand operational analysis or decisions for strategic effect or tactical effect, um, but how do you use wargaming to better understand the students themselves and their process of learning? And I think the literature on that in the military community is, is slim uh, and has a lot of room for growth, which I hope we can contribute to. And we're just starting to dip our toes in that water because it's certainly um, a resource intensive type of method that Dr. Jensen and Dr. Valeriano describe very well. 
um, in terms of what you need and how you can do this sort of research at scope or at scale. Um, and so we're exploring that here at AU right now. There is a new initiative that just kicked off recently, and then I invite you all to join uh, all of our listeners, the Educational Wargaming Community of Interest. Um, after the DOD instruction 1322.35 came out on military education earlier uh, this year, we definitely saw the need for collaboration in the educational wargaming space. It's called out specifically as a pedagogical tool that can encourage innovation and adaptive, creative, critical thinking. And we thought as the Teaching and Learning Center, since we are not um, subordinate to any schoolhouse within AU, we are in a campus-wide, university-wide resource, and it's in the name teaching and learning, we would be a great proponent to bring many different advocates for this type of learning and this method together. So we've just kicked that off uh, within the past six months or so. We have our next meeting very soon on December 13th. And if anyone is interested in joining, um, just please email me your contact information at AUTLC at us.af dot mil and we will get you on the distro but a lot of uh, our initial conversations in that group have been about the research component because it seems especially as an educational researcher from you know with civilian experience and pme experience coming in for myself i see that pme is a target rich environment uh, for this type of study because you have, in many cases for the resident schools, multiple seminars happening at the same time. Um, you have cohort-based classrooms in terms of um, rank. You have many different military occupational specialties, genders, diverse backgrounds. Uh, and this is just such a ripe opportunity to study student experiences, especially when you put them through their paces in what can be sometimes emotionally intense situations during wargaming. Um, especially, you know, from reading your book, <laughs> I think Ian, you specifically call out how the Marines in particular love competition. And I definitely saw that in my time at EWS for sure. Um, so when you get that sort of emotional or affective investment, um, student behavior sometimes changes, has certain links to the attainment of learning outcomes. Um, there's the element of sort of emotional contagion uh, throughout a class. So you as a researcher can study group dynamics and dominant personalities and how students are talking to each other through discourse analysis. It's just really exciting what you can do. Um, and I think at this point from the TLC's perspective, our eyes are bigger than our stomachs. We have a lot of research projects we want to undertake uh, and are only limited by our current resources and time. Um, so one thing we're looking at, really excited about this potentially, is at Air Command and Staff College. Um, I have a, a friend that worked with me at the Army War College who now is part of the Schriever Scholars Program, Dr. Samantha Taylor. And she teaches um, 
how to do space debris negotiation. And what better way to do that, she decided, than through essentially a war game. Uh, it's a conversation-based game. Um, there are some argumentation mechanics to it, but there are no cards, there's no pieces, there's nothing to manipulate other than your thoughts and your words, right? Um, and she teaches collaboration and negotiation skills in a space domain with that game. Uh, she just started doing that, and so we would like to do a study around that, especially working with uh, the experts at the LeMay Center here who are operational wargamers and could tell you anything you want to know about wargaming. <laughs> so we're partnering together. Uh, we have the substantive expert, Dr. Taylor. We've got the wargaming expert at LeMay Center and then me on the educational side. And so linking all those skill sets and relationships together to see, does this really work? Is it teaching what we want it to teach? How do we know and how can we replicate it at scale if it is effective? Great, thank you. And I, I'm now extremely interested in how we could get a copy of the space debris negotiation <laughs> game because it's it's something that, I mean, it just sounds very unique, you know, but also as we are looking at, you know, how to, how to approach something like multi-domain operations, right? Like that's a domain and all the stuff floating up there could potentially become something you, you might become really worried about. Um, and maybe you want to figure that out before a, a conflict actually starts. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I know I've got I got so many interesting notes here. Like the uh, I, I'm glad the like the emotional, the competitive aspect came across in the book because it was a couple of weeks ago. I think I had a gunnery sergeant up here in a, a session we were doing playing Sebastian's game, actually. And he was literally like jumping and doing 360s as his missiles were landing on their targets. <laughs> he was so happy. Um, but I got, got a bunch of questions coming in the chat now. Um, and um, but just before we get to that, uh, I, one last question I'll throw throw your way and then I'll turn it over to the audience here. But you know, in, in talking about the, so your approach to wargaming is, you know, looking at how to understand the students, um, you know, decision-making behavior patterns, as well as their process of learning. And I'm curious, have you developed a way or are you developing a way to assess that? Like in a, in a, quantifiable fashion because that's been that's a, a chronic challenge i guess in measuring like you know how effective was your wargaming like how do you measure how do you measure what they learned how do you measure how well they performed um and i know it's something that on the marine corps university side it's it's been again as we've stood up wargaming as a growth area you know how to capture data that shows that it's an effective tool or not um so how what how how is your approach to that um, or is that still something that's getting worked on? It's still under exploration, but there is a lot of literature on psychophysiological methods. So you're actually looking at physiological responses during gameplay. A lot of this is done um, with video gamers and first person shooter games. Lots of findings on how um, the use of electroencephalography Hope I said that right. I'm looking at my notes. Yes. Activity parts in different parts of the brain, activity in different parts of the brain, how your synapses are firing in different places at different times, how that can be tied to gameplay in terms of injects, um, what another player says to you, 
if, as I said earlier, a dominant personality, if it's a team play game emerges, how that links to a physiological response that can then actually be correlated to game and team-based performance. So lots of rich literature about this from the video game community, not so much from the war game community. Um, the TLC actually has uh, gel caps to <laughs> monitor brainwaves and different uh, behavior in your in your mind, cognitive behavior. Um, but as I said, we have so many things we want to do and such limited time to do them. Also, you introduce potential bias there. So you have to look at why you're playing the game and how hooking students up to machines might influence <laughs> their experience for better or for worse. Um, and so I think we can learn a lot of lessons from that literature, but we would definitely need to customize those methods for our environment appropriately. So I, I mentioned my master's is in Shakespeare studies. I used to teach communication at MCU and my sort of lower drag, um, less test tube <laughs> laboratory approach to this is discourse analysis. So actually doing um, ethnographic research during a war game, mapping out the conversations that students are having and you could do that you know, in person if they're co-located or distributed via a chat or audio over a VTC, however they're playing the game, actually mapping it out in terms of what did this player say that then spurred a series of events or different reactions in their teammates or their opponents. Um, are they, to be more educational about it, are they using the vocabulary of the curriculum? This is something that I did a study on uh, with Colonel Tino Perez, now Dr. Tino Perez, he's retired at the Army War College along with Dr. Brandy Jenner, who is our postdoctoral fellow at the time. Um, we did not have a war game per se, but it was problem-based learning in that the colonels that year in the resident education program at the War College were given a, a problem to work on. And the task was formulate a strategy and share that via whatever product you like. Well, everyone did briefs, of course, <laughs> with PowerPoints. But one of our um, sort of data points was listening for, looking for on the screen, looking for in any written artifacts. Did they use the language of the curriculum? And in that case, we found many did not. Uh, and so you can come to conclusions about that and explore that further about what that means for their mastery of the content or areas that you might revisit from a faculty development approach of things that need to be um, taught differently or taught in a different way. Um, I think that can offer a lot for you. And there's an interesting study uh, in the scholarship of teaching and learning that says if you want to assess the quality of student learning, you do it by the quality of the questions that the students ask, which is an interesting twist and I think can apply very well to observing war games. Oh, great. I, I mean, I'm just scribbling down so many notes here. Um, we're, I already know we're not going to have enough time to talk about all this stuff, but maybe that just, <laughs> mean, maybe that just means a lot to have you back, um, which is a, a good problem to have. Um, Thank you. So uh, I, I will uh, I will sort of hold my fire here, though, and, and let the audience get in on the game here. So I'm going to go to the chat now and start pulling through these questions. And to the audience, um, 
not necessarily going to go in the order, but I will try and get to all your questions. There is a method to my madness here. So um, first question I'll put to you, and this is from Lieutenant Colonel Curtis Kobach, who uh, actually works here. He's in the uh, Marine Corps University Operations Department. Um, and I know he used to work here at the Kulak Center. He's still with us in spirit, um, you know, but, but looking at some of these things in terms of, you know, both the assessment and application in the classroom has been something he's he's had some um, direct experience on here. So his question is, uh, and this kind of goes into as well, your educational technology with a purpose, right? So what current Wargaming technologies or styles have you found or has the Air University found are the most easily integrated into the into your classrooms from what you've seen so far? And this sort of ties into the challenge of how do you get older non-gamer faculty or staff or even students, right? You know, older students who may, this may not be their thing. How do you get them to, to understand like the with a purpose part for these technologies and what have you found the most effective? The simpler, the better. <laughs> I found that the students, the resident education students, I can't speak as much on the, um, the for the global college of PME side, the, the online programs. You'll often see um, if it's a full cohort war game that the instructions are briefed in an auditorium setting up front, usually in 15 to 30 minutes, and then the students break or dispersed into seminars. And from an ethnographic standpoint of the person watching the behaviors, listening to the students, seeing their reactions, that's when they tend to get lost. Um, and those on the call and listening probably have heard and witnessed this themselves. It's not a surprise that, what did they say we should do again? What are we supposed to be doing? And so the simpler, the better on um, both the gameplay and the technologies used. I'll use an example that's specific to the Teaching and Learning Center, something that we are working on and that we briefed um, at a Connections conference a couple years ago. As I was starting in faculty development at the senior service college level, it became very clear that there was not a consistent, um, efficient way to help faculty develop their Socratic method skills. Um, so teaching them really advanced uh, rhetorical analysis based lines of questioning to use in the seminars at the War College. And I started to explore what solutions were available across PME, you know, with our civilian higher ed partners. I took a trip with the provost, uh, Dr. Breckenridge at that time to Arizona State University. And uh, we had a brief on their 360 degree decision theater, which is fascinating. But after collecting all this data and learning, you know, what everyone else was doing, it became very clear that it was still constrained to inputs and outputs. And the challenge with Socratic dialogue is that there are infinite inputs, right? You don't know uh, what the students are going to say. You could predict them based on your experience and data if you're collecting that on historical responses, but the students could say absolutely everything. And so it gets really challenging to then use some kind of simulation as a response because it's just huge data sets. Um, 
And so what we did is build a very, very simple uh, card game uh, using argumentation mechanics together with Chris Wheaton and Dr. Abram Trotsky at the Army War College. Lots of shout outs to my wargaming friends today. <laughs> and we used, um, I'll just share this. We have several scenarios, but we used uh, a 1990 Persian Gulf War scenario um, as a way to guide the players through thinking about different components of military, diplomatic information, economic, uh, I did them out of order, instruments of power. So how to use DIME in working through the Gulf War as a case study. Um, because that was our first course of the year. The Introduction to Strategic Studies course used the Gulf War as a case study to drive that curriculum. And so everyone was familiar with it as we tested play. I think uh, Ken Gilliam, who's on the line, may have even been one of our, our uh, beta players. And essentially, you work through the conversation uh, and focus on the type of question asked versus the words of the answer that are given. And so that allows some flexibility, very low drag. It's literally just paper cards and one facilitator that can allow you to not so much anticipate what the students might say, although that is important towards building towards a learning objective, but to evaluate the type of question that you might ask. Um, so we had several questions of definition, questions of clarity, questions of evaluation, um, how, and there were different examples of those questions on the card so you can see as you're playing what that type of question might look like if you were to actually ask it. From there, it became very clear that this was a more effective way of teaching the skill to very busy faculty that didn't require constant um, simulated classes with actor students, for example, which are really just your peers and friends sitting in as you kind of drive around the class. And the faculty started to use it actually, not just amongst themselves, among their faculty peers, but to teach their students in seminar what an effective Socratic dialogue looks like and why we use it, because it gets to these different components of critical thinking. Um, and it's become, um, for some seminars, a way to introduce students to that skill and to give them an introduction to what the rest of the resident education seminar experience might be like. Great. Well, yeah, the uh, simpler, simpler is better is a refrain that we've you know, we've heard, and I know that that's, that's the philosophical approach of some, uh, some of the folks in that book, among other places. Um, okay, uh, next question will go to the chat here is from uh, Rachel Parlier. And going back to your earlier comment that wargaming can be resource heavy, definitely something, you know, on the Marine Corps University side, we've, it's uh, come to appreciate. Um, what is one of the biggest pulls on resources or challenges you've seen in trying to get resources while encouraging the use of educational wargaming at uni at your university? Oh, I don't know if it's a pull on resources or just a false dichotomy that creates tension, but a conversation I had never had uh, before coming here 
was on this dichotomy between educational wargaming and operational wargaming. And it seems for some reason, my own opinion, seems to be very tied into the culture here at AU um, as very separatist. And one goal of that community of interest that I mentioned was to sort of break down those barriers a little bit. I'm not sure why they have sprung up, <laughs> but the mission of AU is to educate warfighters. Um, and I think that creating those two different communities has perhaps hurt uh, in achieving that mission because you're justifying, well, is this for operational purposes or educational purposes? Can it be both? If we do an operational war game, can we apply the lessons learned to a student context? Can we invite the students to observe that war game? Can we invite them to help design it for credit, for course credit? Um, can they be our players so that we test it out? And I think there's a lot of opportunities that perhaps have gone untapped there. So thanks, Rachel, for the question. And that may be different from what you were asking, but that's something interesting that I've seen here that I wasn't um, expecting and that I haven't seen before. Great. Thank you. And I think uh, for what it's worth, I think that tension comes back a long time. Um, Probably. I, yeah, <laughs> I uh, I was just I was rereading some of Peter Perla's book on the art of wargaming for a course that speaking of joint wargaming, um, the army was offering out of Leavenworth out of the command and general staff college. And I think the, you know, his, his first edition was in like the mid 1980s, but that tension between operational and educational, like it was like that dichotomy had already, already happened back then. And mm -hmm. maybe everything since then has been trying to sort of, you know, bring it back closer together because it does not have to be, you know, one or the other. Um, if you can, if you can sort of be creative about it. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's see. Uh, to the audience, if you have any any other questions in the chat, go ahead and throw them in there. I'd like to maybe sort of shift maybe back to the the, the broader mission of the Teaching and Learning Center. And I'm curious. You, there's there's a lot of overlap between like kind of what the Crew Life Center does, but also you're covering down on other components inside our our university here as well that aren't directly ours, but they're they're still here just in different form. Um, I'm curious. Have you for the various um, sort of lanes that the teaching learner setting swims in, how much collaboration interaction do you have with other, um, you know, other service PME institutions or other like organizations inside of those institutions? Yeah, I mean, my philosophy is you can't do it alone. Um, and the Area University Teaching and Learning Center is one of the oldest, and we're only six years old, so <laughs> of the educational sort of support centers in um, PME institutions. And so we've been very fortunate to have certain types of resources that perhaps our other peers do not. Um, for example, one of the perennial challenges uh, for anyone working in faculty development in a military education space, specifically, um, you know, a PME space is faculty turnover and faculty diversity. And what I mean by that is faculty that come in and out every three years and no two faculty look alike. You might have um, an active duty colonel with 
zero classroom teaching experience, um, who just completed War College herself and is coming back to teach the next year on the same teaching team as someone with a PhD who has been teaching for 30 years um, and has a great deal of different types of experience. And so as a faculty developer in that environment, you need to find a way to meet the needs of all people. Um, plus, you have the added challenge of very short orientation windows before academic years begin, um, including faculty specifically on the active duty side who are coming off of highly stressful deployments or other tours or types of duty um, who are OCONUS on Wednesday and report to the school on Saturday and in the middle of that need to figure out a way to move their families and figure out what they're going to do, how they're going to live in this new town. Lots of stressors and the need to constantly have a value proposition as a faculty development resource is there, but also um, once you have that value to offer, how are you going to make it customizable to the individual faculty experience? And so something that we have started with that at the AUTLC is a completely self-paced online faculty development uh, fundamentals course. And it's intended for those who either need a refresher on their adult learning theory and facilitation skills or those who are brand new. There are multiple paths, so you can just audit certain sections of the course. Um, there's 20 lessons. Each lesson takes under an hour. And you can come and go as you like. It's completely rolling admissions, completely self-paced, no synchronous requirements. You choose which lessons are most helpful for you via a self-assessment that you can take at the beginning of the course as you log in. Or you can do start to finish and get a digital batch as part of your uh, course completion um, achievements. So we have seen some interesting trends start to come out as part of this. Um, the people who are most interested in that course do not come from Air University. We have the most interest from the Navy and the Marine Corps. Um, and we recently got on the um, MASL, Military Assets and Services list, for international partners. So we often get a lot of requests from, for example, the Nigerian War College of, hey, I have the same need, I have the same problems, faculty turnover and lots of different faculty, and just one faculty developer on staff. Um, can you help us? And yes, we can. We can enroll you in the course if you like, but also we'll give you our course package and you can take the curriculum and adapt it and, you know, change it to your specific needs. So the TLC here at Air University, I think, is most helpful because we're an open book. We're ready to share everything that we've got. Uh, and we're constantly looking for partnerships, especially on the faculty development, technology, and research fronts. Great, thank you. And and that sort of last point about other other nations or allies looking sort of to you to help <laughs> solve these problems. Uh, next question from the chat sort of jumps right off of that in a in a slightly different aspect. This is from Bianca Swidler, and the question is: Do you or have you seen or do you do any research or study on you know? peers or 
competitor adversary type professional military institutions taking a similar approach to learner and instructor behavioral study and application. And, um, you know, maybe if you've seen any, anything they do differently, you know, what are your thoughts on how, what, you know, what we are already doing or what we can do to maintain competitive edge in student and instructor-centered learning? Um, I think this ties into something that previous, you know, national defense strategies, national military strategies have noted the last few years, which is, you know, the material edge that we've had historically, it's either diminishing or it's gone. What we have now is cognitive edge, which makes the education of that future force um, pretty important. So, uh, again, right. thoughts on uh, what, what you've sort of seen in peers or competitors in terms of the, in the PME realm? Yeah, on the competitor and adversary side, I am not sure. That sounds like a good research question, uh, Bianca. Maybe you could do that for MSOTO Forum in December <laughs> with Ian. Uh, <laughs> Um, what I can share is that we've had some uh, new relationships come about in the last couple years with our allied partners. So um, UK Ministry of Defense, the Defense Academy of the UK is doing a lot with problem-based learning, specifically finding ways to assess and measure intellectual edge on uh, intellectual overmatch. They have, um, a team that's looking at the definition of that. What does it mean for behavior? What does it mean for creating products and relationships? All kinds of things, which is fascinating. Um, and then we also have a great relationship with the Col de Guerre, the military um, educational institution there, our peer, and Professor Emily Claret, who is doing fascinating things with transformational learning. So she has reworked their entire communication skills program to be similar to what I shared about our faculty development course, um, individualized in a way to the student experience. So this industrialized model of inputs and outputs and everybody sits at the desk and learns the same things and is required to do the same assessments is not going to work for us. Um, I know that that presents a lot of challenges when it comes to resourcing and scalability on an educational front, but if we are looking to achieve intellectual overmatch, we have to find a way to implement differentiated instruction at scale. I don't have the answers, but it's on the list of things <laughs> to look at. <laughs> I have ideas. Thanks, Bianca. Yeah, great. Thank and thank you for the answer. And it definitely does sound like a good research question because that's kind of kind of the key question, right? You know, is is we know a lot about our adversaries' stuff. Uh, we know less about how they're how they're trained and educated to use that stuff. And really hard to know until you know you're actually going up against it. And ideally, we would we would like to know before you know if and when that time comes. Um, well, since uh, since we're in the process of signing everybody up for the next M Sotal. Maybe um, could you take a minute and maybe talk about um, what the Military Scholarship of Teaching and Learning Forum has sort of looked on in past iterations and maybe tease out what, it, what are we going to be looking at? I, I say we like I'm, I'm going to be there apparently. Um, but, what it, but, <laughs> but what is the next year's iteration going to be focusing on? Um, if yeah, you know yeah. absolutely. Happy to. Um, so this conference came about in... I want to say 2019 
as a result of a conversation during the inner university society for oh wait inter, inter university seminar for armed forces and society ius conference um which has a very strong PME presence. Many scholar practitioners, educators, administrators from across uh, PME come to that conference. And we all sat down, uh, not all of us, some of us, there were, there were 10 of us <laughs> who were geeking out about educational research and identified this gap in colloquia. So essentially, if you do this type of research, educational research in PME, there is no good place for you to have conversations with your peers and share your research, whether that's a design, initial findings, complete findings, publications, whatever. Um, you have to go to either an educational research conference that is for sort of civilian higher ed and other civilian communities, which means that you're spending a lot of time explaining the military education context and not as much time explaining your findings and having that research discussion. Or you can go to a discipline-based conference like poli-sci or history or whatnot and spend most of your time trying to explain the educational <laughs> uh, side of things because that's very unique you know to those sorts of conferences unless they have a specific track for it so i decided i'm gonna create this new conference um and was not having any idea at that time how much work that would involve but i had a very very supportive boss in the dean of the army war college at the time dr richard lackman and he said, go for it, write up a memo, we'll get the commandant to sign it, and you can build this conference. So, so I did, and then COVID struck in March 2020. Uh, we shut down the War College the week before 100 people were scheduled to travel to Carlisle for the inaugural MSOTO Forum. Um, so we held it online in October, and that was our first year. Uh, we are now going into our fourth year. I think this conference is very special because I treat it and those who help organize it, including Dr. Lauren McKenzie from Marine Corps University, uh, as a developmental opportunity. It's very unintimidating, low threat for people who are new to this type of research. So there's a lot of coaching that involved that, that is involved in the proposal submission process. Um, with your feedback, you'll get detailed feedback on how to think about um, your research questions in a more rigorous empirical way. Um, this conference is a lot of things to a lot of people. To me, it's a way to get out the good word about the scholarship of teaching and learning and to help individuals feel empowered to do this research in their own settings and to then share it. So we started with, you know, 100 people that had TDY <clears throat> orders to come up to Carlisle in 2020. And this past year for the conference, we had 550 people who joined us from 220 different organizations. So it's really taken off. Um, we have seven different tracks for sessions, ranging from assessments to research methods, faculty development, um, all kinds of good things to think about there can do a 30 minute presentation or a panel. Um, and then we have keynote sessions as well. So something that was really rewarding last year is we invited the editors from Air University Press 
and Army University Press's Journal of Military Learning to do a panel on what it takes to publish in this field in educational research for military learners. Um, so the community is really growing. I'm super excited about it. I am most excited that this year we'll have a co-host, uh, which I can't officially announce yet because the ink isn't dry. But um, the intention was always to have this be a community-based colloquia. Um, it's not my, <laughs> it's not just my project. It started with me, but I'd like to see it sort of make the round so that everyone can experience it uh, from all of our different peer schools. Well, look forward to the uh, the big reveal for who the co-host is going to be then. And uh, I will make sure I put the the URL to the MSOTL conference to the webpage here in the show notes as well. So people can go ahead and, and check that out and build their panels or their presentations. Yes. Um, all right. Well, so we're, we're actually coming up on an hour. You know, we were talking earlier about like, I'm not going to not going to go past 30 minutes if there's nothing to talk about. And here we are <laughs> 60 minutes later. Um, so uh, I've got no more questions in the chat. And uh, as much as I got a ton of rabbit holes, I would love to go down here. I do want to respect the audience's time and your time as well. So I'll uh, I'll cut off my end here. Um, any I'll let you have any any final thoughts or comments you'd like to share before we, we close up. Yes, Major Brown, thank you so much. I'll just say, if you are interested in the MSOTO Forum, definitely check out the AUTLC website. Um, we actually did a series of webinars on how to put together a proposal for this conference, and the proposals will open in April 2023. So you'll see lots of announcements from us. You can follow us on LinkedIn or on Twitter. We're at Air Teaching. And thank you so much for your interest. Well, if you've got webinars on how to put it together, nobody's got an excuse for not doing I it. I know, right? <laughs> All right. Well, to uh, well, great. Uh, this has been a fantastic discussion, Dr. Hennessy. Thank you very much for your time, as well as I think you're yet another one of the folks out there in the Twitterverse that I've just cold called and and uh, and uh, asked if you want to you know so plug, you plug in over here. So I'm glad people keep answering those DMs. Um, Thanks, Ian. But, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you too. And again, thank you to our audience for joining us today. We'll have this out here probably in the next 24 hours. So uh, we hope that you uh, you listen to all those episodes again. And if you like them, please hit the like and subscribe on YouTube and, uh, you know, or give us a good review on the various podcast channels so we can push this out to a wider audience. And also we're going to continue to put the, as, along with the the email address for uh, um, for the TLC and the MSOTL URL, it's also a short survey link that we'll have in the show notes. So just five minutes of your time, you know, let us know sort of how we're doing on these types of events and what we can do to improve it. All feedback is welcome. All right. Again, uh, thank you very much, Dr. Hennessy, and maybe we'll have you on again soon. We'll see. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected.